So we come this morning to celebrate an amazing story. The story of God coming to be among us and then carrying his weight of, of the world and humanity on his shoulders. And, and for many of us who have grown up searching, this is the answer to all, or this is the answer to all the questions that we have. And all of us, no matter where we come from, no matter the gender that we are, no matter the ethnicity, no matter our social standing, no matter how much money is in our bank, young or old, rich or poor, married or single. We have all searched, right? Little ones, little kids always search. They, they grow up life always exploring. My granddaughter discovered that there are worms in my vegetable garden bed, and so she searches now for worms. We know our kids, and you know, they, they, they have such an imagination that they search for, in fact, upstairs, our kids are searching for Easter eggs and bunny rabbits and any other thing that their imagination captures them, whether it's pirate treasure or dinosaur bones or whatever. It's an amazing thing to watch a kid not discover that what they want to search for can't be found. And yet as we get older, what we look for becomes much more serious, much more tenuous. What we, what we look for is a meaning, is an answer to the, to the reason why. A reason to show back up to work, a reason to, to get out of bed, a reason to turn in the last paper, a reason to take the test, a reason not to drop out, a reason not to quit. You see, we, we, we face life from that transition from childhood to teen, teen to young adult, and young adult to adult, that the search becomes more urgent and more difficult yet search that we do and we have always looked for a for a reason why Victor Frankl tells a story Victor Frankl was an East European Jew that that lived during the time of World War II he endured uh, the concentration camps and extermination camps of, of Nazi Germany and he writes he write in his book and he kind of chronicles what his observations were and he looked at the men that were his bunkmates and were trapped in those barracks that seemed to have gone on forever. And he watched man after man after man give up and die. In fact, he tells the story that you knew when a man was, was done when he lit his last cigarette and laid back in, in bed and waited for the guards to come and beat him senseless or beat him to death. And he, in his book, he writes that what fascinated him was not so much that men died, but that men lived. And he writes and he goes, he said it wasn't so much the lack of food. It wasn't the torture. It wasn't the, the, the horrible conditions. It was men died when they gave up hope, when they lost their reason, when they, when they forgot their way. And he said man's greatest purpose, and he, his observations grounded a theory that he would go on and present to the world. He said man's greatest desire is not for fame or glory. It's not for things. It's not for power or prestige. Man's greatest need in his life is to find a meaning to it, find a, find a reason to it. And if we look at that and go, well, of course, Dave, that, that's 
guy grew up in World War II. If you've ever walked through the concentration camps of Germany and Poland, it, you understand the, the absolute necessity of finding a reason to not just give it all up. And yet, we see the same kind of mentality in Scripture in the Old Testament. A guy named Solomon, who was the wisest man that ever walked the face of the earth. He had more wealth than anybody that's ever walked. He had all the power and prestige that he needed. He had all the influence that he had. He had everything he needed to get and chase after and not just pursue, but claim what he felt was his to experience. And when you read Ecclesiastes, you discover him that he experienced everything, good, bad, and indifferent, moral and immoral. He went after everything, and he, these were his words. He says, what's there to show for a lifetime of work, a, a lifetime of working your fingers to the bone? You ever been there? Those that have ever punched a clock, those that have ever, ever never, haven't gotten a raise in years, those that go to the boss and say, hey, what about me? And he goes, yeah, next year. What's, the, what's there to show for it? One generation goes its way and the next arrives, but nothing changes. It's business as usual for old planet Earth. The sun comes up and the sun goes down and then it does again and again. It's an amazing statement for the man who could and did have everything. All the wealth, all the relationships, all the freedom, pursuing anything that was in the wind, any whim that he had, he, he chased after. And at the end of his life, he said, there's nothing that changes. It's business as usual. The sun comes up and goes down, and then it does it again and again. And if the wealthiest, wisest man on all the earth says those things, they're like, well, what about us? Right, Because if the wealthiest guy who could buy anything and if the wealthiest guy who could get anything uses those words, well, what about us? What about the guys that look at their, their checkbook and see that it's empty, that open up the fridge and see that the milk's gone, that get laid off from work, break up with someone that you love, find out of a betrayal? What's our reason? And this morning... This Easter Sunday, this most amazing of days in Christendom, I want us just for a moment to consider that everybody in this chair has a reason for their existence, has a reason why. No matter what you bring to the table, no matter how many doubts you have, no matter how many questions fill your mind, no matter how many disappointments you've experienced in the name of religion, and please hear what I said. I separate religion from Christianity because they are two diametrically opposed things. And so we, as people, become disappointed with what we think religion should be. And yet this morning, the celebration of our risen Savior, I would suggest to you that there lies within that empty tomb a reason for each one of us. It speaks to us about value and hope. It gives us gives us a, a, a reason. And, and yet if you find yourself here this morning going, there's nothing here, Dave. I respect that. I'll even go so far as to say, give me a few minutes. 
I'm not here to, 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 to sell you a bill of goods that, that, that if you follow Christ, everything becomes great because we know as, as adults that that's not altogether true. But I will tell you that Christ provides us with the reason. The difficulty is finding him. The difficulty is engaging in him in a way that, that, that grounds our beliefs and our, our system. There was a story of a woman in John chapter 8, and for those of us that have been in church for any length of time, we know this story is a woman caught in adultery. And for Christians, for too many times, we have, we have focused on the act, on the injustice of it all, on, on Christians are famous for, for encapsulating a complex, very nuanced story in a couple catchy catchphrases that we can move on. And yet this morning, what I would like to do as we, as we consider her, to just suspend our tendency to judge for just a moment. Just suspend what we think we know and allow us to consider that who we hear of in John 8 is, is simply a woman searching. It says that in... It says the scribes and the Pharisees in verse 3. The scribes and the Pharisees. If you go back in chapter 8, you discover that it's early morning at the temple. There's not that many people there that yet. Jesus is on his way to the temple like he always was. And he, and he sees before him a, a group of men come in. In the middle of that group of men, there's a woman. And they say this. It says, They brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. The story reveals as much about what it doesn't say, by what it doesn't say, than what it does you see, we don't see what the woman's thinking. If we were going to place ourselves in her shoes, what would you do if you were dragged, be humiliated by a bunch of religious people that think they are the gatekeepers of God himself? Would you scream? Would you kick? I would. You drag me out in something like that, even if I'm guilty, I'm going to take one shot Especially if I hear those people that are enforcers of religion say to the one that I've heard about, hey, we get a stoner. stoner. The story's missing a lot. We are left with more questions than answers. John doesn't even give her a name. John says that she, all that she is is she is a woman caught and they place her in the midst of them and I wonder what she must have been thinking was she trying to figure out how in a moment of intimacy everything can go so wrong was she acknowledging the fact that her searching has left short again I was waiting on the clouds to break 
So those are thoughts. Not to the Jesus that she's facing because she doesn't know who he is other than her reputation. Is she thinking those thoughts of like, man, I thought that this guy was the one. You see, we get caught up in the act and yet what interests me and what concerns me and what breaks my heart is, is I've been around enough and made enough bad choices to understand that she's just searching. She's looking for something. She's trying to find something. And then she discovers that the safety that she hoped, the intimacy that she hoped, the, the, the security that she hoped to find was, was taken and, 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 and robbed. And when you consider all that, you see the commonality in this all. Right? If you hold it from a distance, it's easy to point a finger and go, oh, that she should have known better. But when you consider the fact that how many of us have looked at things and have tried to find things in different types of beds only to find ourselves the next morning waking up going, this isn't it. And now imagine that shame, guilt-ridden woman being dragged in front of Jesus. Oh, she heard about Jesus. I can promise you that. You see, she heard about Jesus because word of him would have already gone through the region. They, she would have heard that this is a holy, righteous man. He is a rabbi. He's a teacher. She would have heard of his wisdom, the stories that he told. She would have heard of the hands that he laid on people and the miracles that he wrought. And she would have wondered, is this guy like those guys? Is the guy that I'm being put next to and stood before the same as those that robbed me of anything that was left of my own existence and my own identity? Am I nothing more than the sum total of my choices? Am I simply the woman caught? And isn't that what we all wonder when we first come to Christ? When we stand before him, we wonder if he is just another ideology, if he's just another idea, is he just another religion, another list of do's and don'ts? Is he nothing more than the sum total of a morality police that, that seem to keep us away from interacting with the eternal, or is he different? And this morning, my friends, I would suggest that there is nothing more diametrically opposed to religion than our Savior. That though she might not have known it and though she might have assumed that everything that was going wrong would just continue and she, he would, Jesus would continue to lay on the condemnation that the men had wrought, maybe what she would discover is something different. It says John writes that Jesus, when he was posed the question, didn't answer. And I love that about him. And can we learn from him? People demand answers to questions that they do not care about. That's right. 
It says he bent down and wrote his, with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote back on the ground. I wonder if she even heard the words. You see, I would have reconciled myself to death. If I was dragged out in the midst and humiliated and now stood before someone who was profoundly holy, who was profoundly a man of God, and I had those religious leaders saying, the law says stone, and this guy saying nothing, I would have just hunkered down. And I would have waited for the first stone to hit. I wouldn't have received any hope. What I would have done is gone, okay, is it going to hit me in the leg or is it going to hit me in the back? Should I cover my head so it doesn't hit me in the head? I can take one in the leg. It's, I can deal with that, but, but how can I protect myself from this? Because that was what was expected. That was what the law said. That was what the religious leader said. Was Jesus any different? Or was she about to experience something profoundly unexpected? There's a story She might have assumed that what she engaged in the night before was gave reason and gave purpose to her life, but what she was coming to realize that something different was happening, that, that times were changing. I wonder how many people here this morning are still searching. I wonder how many people here in their own ways have made some bad choices. And while maybe you've never been dragged out to be humiliated, all of us have experienced that look in the mirror and the face looking back at you going, what did you just do? It's an easy trap to get to fall into when we believe that we are the sum total of our choices. And yet, what I would submit to you is that Look beyond the crowd that drags you out, that's beat you up. Break free of the arms that drop you in front. And rejoice that this morning you stand and sit or kneel or huddle at the feet of your Savior. You see, the woman would have saw judgment. And the Pharisees and Sadducees would have saw 
condemnation, but Jesus saw so much more. Jesus saw the choice. But what I would suggest to you is Jesus saw so much more than simple choice. Jesus saw humanity. Jesus saw brokenness. Jesus saw searching. Jesus saw the very reason he, the Son of God, came to earth in the first place. He looked at her and saw, ah, you're the reason why I came. You're the reason why I came. You see, I didn't come to condemn you. That's those guys' job. Let them condemn. I, I, scripture tells us that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so it says in verse 6, it says, When they heard it, when they heard the Pharisees and sat, the, the Pharisees and scribes, the religious leaders, the gatekeepers, heard that Jesus says, Hey, if you're without sin, go ahead and throw the stone. When they heard that, they went away one by one, beginning with the oldest. And I wonder what her mind did then. Was she still tense? Unwilling to believe that where there was hopelessness, there's now hope. Where there is unforgiveness, there's forgiveness. Where there is condemnation, now there is grace. Was she able to look up once she heard that first thud on the ground when the rock dropped? Or the first murmur? When the youngest asked the oldest, hey, where are you going? And the oldest responds, didn't you just hear what he said? I don't get this right. Says Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? This morning there are no accusers here. This morning there is no one dragging you out to condemn you. You're in a place to meet your Savior. Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. How much must she have been shocked? You ever stumble upon something that you didn't expect? Going out on a road, and you you came across something beautiful that is just awe-inspiring that you didn't expect. You've ever woke up before sunrise and you're grouchy because it's still dark and you're in your car heading to work, but then you turn east, man, and you see that sun just just crest the horizon and the sky lights up. And you're like, oh, that's something. You ever been hiking? Go up into the park and you walk and walk and it seems all that you do is walk uphill and you got your head down trying not to stumble on all the rocks and roots and weeds and you come to a hill and you crest the hill and you look up and there's a vista that takes your breath away. You ever seen the smile of a little girl? Little boy. Touch of a spouse. Something that shocks you of its beauty and its innocence. I wonder if the woman felt that way. You see, history doesn't tell us much about her after this story. The world keeps going around and we are left to wonder what she did. And yet, 
I kind of like to picture the fact that when Jesus says, I don't condemn you, but just don't go and sin anymore, that she looked up and for the first time in her life, she found a reason why. A reason that would not let her down, a reason that wouldn't disappoint her, a reason that wouldn't hurt her, a reason that wouldn't take her trust and break it, a reason why, a purpose in her life. And what I imagine is that she went to follow Jesus. And what would you say if I told you my secrets, if I saved you my soul? makes it clear that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn you, to make you feel guilty about choices, to, to beat you up over your own life. Jesus did not come into the world to point out the obvious. Jesus came into the world to give you hope. Jesus came into the world to find the broken, those that are left to rust, those that are hollowed out by their own choices, by the world around them, those that are dragged out by humanity and expect nothing but condemnation and guilt. Jesus came for those. Amen. Not to beat them up, but to give them hope, to give them finally a reason. Finally a reason. And that is what Easter is. In the midst of all the chocolate and the Easter bunny and the eggs and all that stuff that we laugh about and we have fun with our kids about, Easter is the reason of humanity's existence. Easter is hope. Easter is no matter what you face, no matter where you go, no matter what you have to deal with, that you have a Savior. And even if you've been dropped at His feet, half-clothed, guilty and shame-ridden, He looks at you and goes, where is your, those that condemn you? Who are those beating you up? And He forces you to look up and you realize that the only one that you have to answer to is Him. The only one that you have to answer to is him. And so my prayer this morning, my prayer this morning for this room, for you guys, is that you do not confuse this story with religion. That you don't confuse this with a, a moral code or an ideology or a compass by which we follow. That you would hear 
that Christianity that Jesus yearns for a relationship with you. It has nothing to do with church. It has nothing to do with a list of things that too, you can or can't do. It has everything to do with the one who had the only right who has ever set foot on this earth, who was the only person who had the right to go, you're guilty. Instead said, oh, come and follow me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am humble. My burden is light. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. So what are the next steps? If you're here and maybe you've never thought about making a decision, but maybe you've spent most of your life searching, He stands before you and says, you found me. Don't miss this opportunity. If you've always needed a purpose for your life, Jesus provides that. If you've always needed a reason for your life, Jesus provides that. And what I'd like to do as the Holy Spirit stirs our hearts, if you could just bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. If that's you, if you, that story resonates with you and you're like, man, I'm just tired of being dragged out, tired of being beat up, tired of searching. Know that Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, has found you. You don't have to search no more. If that's you, if you want to experience forgiveness, what I'd like to do is I want to lead you in a prayer and just... Pray this prayer after me, and men and women of God, if you could just join that so they know that they are being brought into a family, brothers and sisters who don't condemn, but encourage and stand alongside. And so with your heads bowed and eyes closed, if right now you're just like, man, this is me, and you feel that tug on your heart, repeat after me, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Please forgive me my sins and give me the gift of eternal life. I ask you in my heart to be my Lord and Savior. And I give my life to you. In Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed still, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, if you accept Jesus as your Savior, I want you to look at me. And if you're looking at me, you're going, that's me. Thank you. You know what? Because the eyes are so bad and the lights are, can you guys just, those that have made that decision, can you just raise your hand to me? Everybody else respect. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your life. I thank you for Jesus, your son. I thank you, God, that you love us so much you sent your son to die for us. I pray for these men and women who 
for the first time accepted you as their Savior. And I pray, God, that you would be made known to them, that they would not see themselves as alone or condemned, that they would see themselves now, as your word says, that they are sons and daughters of the Most High, that they can look at God not as one to be fearful of, but they can look to you and say, Dad. And I pray, God, that as they move forward, that they would have people in their lives that would rally around them and walk them through this. God bless this time. Everybody said. Amen. If you made your decision for the first time, I'd love to talk with you. We're going to worship a little bit. Why don't we stand to our feet?